0: I'm Pastor Adam Burton at Central Baptist Church in Maysville, Kentucky, and you are listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I pray that God blesses you through the proclamation of His Word. If you are in Maysville, we would love to see you at one of our worship services. We gather every Sunday at 1045 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. at 437 Central Avenue in Maysville. If you are listening outside of Maysville, my desire is for you to be in weekly attendance at a Bible-believing church where you live. This week's sermon is from our series in First Thessalonians titled "Living in Light of Christ's Return." Billy Graham wrote uh, about uh, this account in the time of, of uh, Dwight Eisenhower's presidential term. It said that the president was out vacationing out in, in Denver, Colorado, and while he was there, it came to his attention that there was a six-year-old boy named Paul Haley who was dying of incurable cancer. And he had had this one great dream that someday he would be able to meet the president. Dwight Eisenhower uh, made an act that would long outlive his great speeches when he said to one of his aides, let's go and and meet Paul Haley. So they got in the the presidential limousine and and they, they drove one August Sunday morning to the home of Paul Haley, And he didn't know they were coming. Flags on the fenders were flying on as this black limousine drove up and the doors flew open and out walked the president who knocked on the door. Mr. Donald Haley, the father who, he was wearing blue jeans and just an old dirty shirt and one day's growth of beard, opened the door and he said, yes, can I, can I help you? And the president responded, is Paul here? Tell him the president would like to see him. And little Paul, to his amazement, walked around his father's legs, and he stood, and he looked up to the face of this man that he admired the most. Dwight Eisenhower, he, he, he kneeled down, and, and he shook his hand, and he Took him out to see the presidential limousine, and before he said goodbye, he hugged little Paul Haley. They shook hands and, and then he left. And the neighbors, I'm, I'm sure, are still laughing about, are still talking about this visit from the president. There was only one man who was not entirely happy about it, and that was Donald Haley, who said. How can I ever forget standing there dressed like I was in those jeans and an old dirty shirt and an unshaven face to meet the President of the United States? He just wasn't prepared. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter five. We have come to an end in our series in First Thessalonians, living in light of Christ's return. This is Paul's conclusion to this letter to the Thessalonians. And like any good conclusion, the Apostle Paul does, does not present any new information, rather he gives a summary of what he wants to leave his readers with. See, he encourages the Thessalonians. And he gives them hope. See, the second half of of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians is about their commitment to Christ. We've looked at at themes around, uh, regarding uh, morality, moral purity, brotherly love, grief and death, interpersonal relationships, and basic Christian virtues. See, it's not enough for somebody just to claim that they follow Christ. No, it must be reflected in, in how we how we live. See, Jesus is coming. We don't know the hour nor the day, but we do know that He is coming soon. And we don't want to be unprepared wearing our old blue jeans and a dirty old shirt with an old unkept face when the King of Kings appears. See, the problem that, that we have is Is that God's standard is far greater than just cleaning ourselves up to visit the president. No, God calls us to be sanctified and to be blameless. See, the standard is set high. So read along with me here this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May God bless the reading of his holy word. In high school, I, I had this geometry teacher, Mr. Mappin. One thing about Mr. Mappin is that he made his tests extremely hard. Did you ever have a teacher like that, that it didn't, it didn't matter how much you studied or how hard you tried, you knew that you were going to struggle on that exam Well, this was Mr. Mappin's geometry class. And he would always give us a study guide. And so we felt, well, he's given us a study guide. We should be well prepared for the exam that's coming up. And so we would sit down and we would spend hours going over every single problem on that study guide so that when the test came, we could regurgitate what we had already learned. Well, remember that, that first test that he had given us. And pretty much everybody in the class failed that test. (laughs) One student, I remember, raised his hand. This was not not me. I was scared to death. But he raised his hand. He said, Mr. Mappin, he said, none of those problems that you gave us in the study guide were on that test. And he unapologetically, unapologetically replied, well, you're right. He said, why would I give you a test on things that you already know? He said I don't want you to just just uh, you know come back with some numbers that you already that I've already given you. He said I am teaching you to think and to be able to apply the the knowledge that you have been given. To be honest, none of us in that sophomore geometry class really cared about that. We just wanted to get a good grade, right? <laughs> but then he he took the exam And he went up to the whiteboard and he began to work through every single problem on this test. And as he did that, it all kind of made sense. What we struggled with on on the test became clear as our teacher began to unpack it. And he said, you guys already know the formulas. He said, all that I asked you to do is to take it one step further. See, it, it works the the same way. And I remember on on that that second test, not everybody failed this time, but I'm still pretty sure I did. Um, but then again, he took out the test and he went over every single problem. And by the end of the semester, uh, I think I made a, a C on that final. And to be honest, I felt that I had hung the moon with that that grade. Then it came time for, for the final grades to come out, and pretty much everybody in the class is panicking because we all needed good grades to, you know, to get into college and all of that. And, and he said, don't worry about your grades. He said, I'm going to make sure that, that y'all are, are taken care of. He said, I would much rather you learn how to think than to get an easy A." I don't think I, I struggled in any college class as much as I did in my sophomore geometry class. But I am grateful that, that Mr. Mappin didn't lower the bar for us so that we could easily pass that class. Instead, he taught us how to, to think for ourselves and to, and to raise our standards so that we could exceed anything we thought we could ever accomplish. You see, even even more so, the standard that God has set for Christians is not just difficult, it is impossible. But instead of God lowering His standards, He gives us Himself. See, God demands complete sanctification now theologians love to come up with big words that honestly make them sound, I guess, smart and important. Oftentimes there are other words that are easier to explain and easier to understand. However, there are some words when the Bible talks about these words, it's good for us to, to know what they are and what they mean. And sanctification is is one of those words. Simply it means it's the process of becoming Holy. We also might say it's the process of us becoming more like Jesus Christ, to be set apart for a specific purpose. See, we are to be blameless before God. Look at verse 23 in chapter 5. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the word peace is, is often defined as the absence of, of conflict. But this isn't really what, what peace is at, at all. We are now in the, the holiday season. You may have already had some holiday gatherings. But have you ever been to a family gathering where, you know, nobody's really fighting, but you can tell something is wrong? Right? The, the tension is so thick that you can, you can cut it with a, with a knife. It feels like, like the house is just one big pressure cooker that is just waiting to, to explode. And sadly, oftentimes, it, it does. See, we can't avoid conflict or struggles or difficulties. They seek us out. Maybe you're in one of those seasons right now. See, peace isn't the absence of conflict. No, the peace of God means that God provides for His people. See, you may not know whether or not you're going to have a job tomorrow. If you're in that place, know that God provides for you. You may wonder, how am I going to get through this holiday season after losing my loved one? No, that God provides for you. You may not know whether you're going to be able to to pay the bills that you have, much less be able to buy Christmas presents for your kids to place under the tree. Know that God provides for you. See, God, He is the source of our sanctification. See, the first thing that, that we must do is yield to God. If you've not yet given your life to jesus do so today because no matter how hard you try to clean yourself up you cannot match god's standard which is complete perfection the prophet isaiah writes he says but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your god and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear isaiah also says all we like sheep. We have gone astray, every one to his own way. We have turned and, see, we have chosen to rebel against a holy and a good and a loving God. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, the penalty for our sin is death. But God sent his son, Jesus, To pay that penalty for our sins. To die on our behalf. Verse 23, we we also see the word blameless. Now this word blameless is in reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system. See, every year on the Day of Atonement, the Israelites would bring their best livestock to the temple in order to be sacrificed by the high priest as a sin offering. But the thing is that, that sin offering was never enough to atone or to cover their sins. Every year, they had to bring a new sacrifice. Year after year, the livestock had to be slaughtered. But in just a few weeks, we're going we're gonna to celebrate the birth of the perfect sacrifice. See, Jesus was born without sin. He was completely sanctified and he died on the cross as our substitute, paying the penalty for our sins. Jesus is the spotless, the blameless lamb of God who takes away our sin. See, as a Christian, you must trust that God will provide everything that you need. And he gives us this promise that he will. Look at verse 24. He says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. How comforting is it to know that no matter what you face in life, that God promises that he will be with you, that he will make you blameless, and that he will make you sanctified. But not only are we to to yield to God, we must diligently pursue holiness. It's not this let go and leave it to God type of of thought. No, we must pursue holiness in every area of our life. See, the Thessalonians, they struggled with with moral purity and, and loving one another. We all struggle with sin. And we have to be on guard See, pursuing holiness is a daily battle. We have to wake up every single morning and you got to put your boxing gloves on because if you get out of bed unprepared, sin will punch you in the face and it will knock you down on the ground. We must be ready to fight sin on every front. We must protect our hearts, our mind and our body at all costs. See, you should strive to be more holy today than you were yesterday. So when we find our, ourselves engaged in sin, it's because we have not yet yielded to God. We have not trusted in Him to provide for us. We have chosen to go our own way. And He wants you to turn back to Him. Because there will be times, because of our sin, because of our sinful actions, where we are flat on our face, where we are at our lowest point. The good thing about God is, is that He doesn't come with that knockout blow. No, He, he picks us up and He welcomes us back into His arms because we are never too far from God, we are to yield to God, we are to pursue holiness, and we are also to to proceed in humble dependence see there 's no such thing as as a proud Christian. see I mean we all know that that self righteous person they, they, they seem to, to have it all together, and they, they just look perfect in every area. And oftentimes they're the first ones to tell you how good they really are. But the Proverbs teaches that what pride comes before the fall. See, sanctification, it it occurs chiefly in the heart, in the mind, in the inner being. See, Paul says in verse 23 that your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. See, sanctification is not concerned with modifying one's outward behavior, even if that behavior is in line with God's law, apart from a changed heart. See, we call those people that that change their outward appearance, but not yet their, their heart. We call them Pharisees. They look good on the outside, but on the inside, they are far from God. Jesus said in, in the Sermon on, on the Mount that it's not good enough for man to not commit adultery, right? But he said that if you ever even have lust on a woman in your heart, that you have committed adultery in your heart. You've you heard the, the parable of, of the rich young man, or the rich young ruler, right? he, he asked Jesus, he said, what things do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, basically, you, you need to keep the Ten Commandments, right? And he's like, oh, I'm good. He's, I'm good. I, I've kept all of all of those commandments. He says, well, that's that's good. He said, but I need you to do one other thing for me. He said, I need you to sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor. And then I need you to follow me. And the rich young ruler said, oh, oh, I... I can't do that because I have, I have so much stuff. And he walked away sorrowful, never following Christ. Now, This isn't a, a, a lesson on whether or not we should give to the poor, which I would uh, advocate that we should. But no, this is a lesson that points to that the young, rich man would not trust God to provide for him. His faith and his trust was was in his wealth, not in Christ. See, we we don't just grow in sanctification by by trying harder. No, we must be fully dependent upon God to provide for our sanctification. Now, this doesn't mean that we we don't have to work. No, we pursue that holiness, but it starts with that reliance on God. That's often the the opposite way, though, that we, we typically pursue holiness, isn't it? I mean, you know, we want to we clean ourselves up. We want to look presentable before God, before we, before we come to Him. But the problem is, is we can't ever get clean enough. You yeah, remember the, the days when the, the restaurant Cracker Barrel, any fans of, of Cracker Barrel out here, uh, you know, remember the days when they, they had the non-smoking section and, and then the, the smoking section? I remember as a kid, one day, my dad took me there for, for breakfast and saying, how can you resist those buttermilk pancakes? Um, but I remember we were, we're sitting in, in the, the, the row of tables that was next to the, the lattice with all of the, you know, the old time memorabilia on it. And on the other side of that lattice was the smoking section. Now, even as a kid, this didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because even though we were in the non smoking section, you could very well smell the smoke coming through the, the lattice work. You see, the thing is that no matter how hard you, you try to, 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 to a- alienate the, the, the smokers and keep them away from the non smokers, that smoke infiltrates the entire restaurant. See, there's nothing you can do to remove, you know, smoking from a restaurant other than to make it a non smoking restaurant. See, it's kind of like like sin. See, sin affects our entire being. We can do try, try different things to, to, to remove it. But the only thing that we can do is is rely on Jesus because He is the only one that can make us sin free. See after, when we're after when we realize that we are sinners, and then we come to Christ. And and He removes that, that sin because we often try to, to clean ourselves up. And after we do that so many times, I don't know about you, but it's so easy to, to get weary and to just give up. But it's at that moment that, that Jesus wants you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus. Paul concludes his letter here with some instructions to the Thessalonians. The first one is is in verse 25 for the church to pray for Paul and Silas and, and Timothy, for their pastors. And I plead with you this morning to pray for for me as your pastor. I pray that don't just do it whenever you think about it. I pray that you would make it a habit to pray for me and my family daily. Pray for my safety and, and integrity. See, Satan finds great joy when a pastor fails. It's almost every week we see another pastor bound up in some moral failure. See, pastors, we pursue sanctification too. Now suicides are are on the rise among pastors as studies have have shown. I heard a pastor just a couple of months ago who had taken his own life and he did so because uh, he went into a church that was dying with hopes of revitalizing it but he didn't succeed. So the The week after he closed the doors of the church, he felt like his life was over and he took his own life because he was a failure. Pray for for wisdom for me and that future plans and priorities are in consistent will with God's will. Oh, may how I lead this church, may it be in tune with the Holy Spirit. He is the one that guides us. May we be in in unison with that. May I also pray for my effectiveness in in preaching the word of God. We fully believe that preaching has the power to change lives. And I pray that I would be faithful to the word and also effective in conveying that word to, to you. And the last instruction that that Paul gives here to the church is to greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, before you go around puckering up here, uh, we need to understand uh, the Bible's context. Or there's a good chance you might end up with a bloody nose. So let me save you uh, from from a bloody nose. Because without context, it is easy to to misinterpret Scripture. See, in, in ancient Thessalonica... All right, the, the, just the common greeting, not just in the church but in culture, was to greet each other with a kiss. And it was usually on, on the cheek. Now, this isn't a romantic thing at all here. I mean, it would be like us just shaking one another's hands or in some cases, you know, giving a kind of a brotherly type of hug. I heard of a, a pastor several years ago, went to, uh, to, to Russia on a mission trip. And he had the opportunity to preach at this church. And after the sermon was over and the service had ended, he stood at the front and everybody came uh, to, 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 to say some words to this pastor. Now, here we would shake one another's hands. There, every single person, men and women, gave him a nice little peck on each cheek. Now... I don't know how you would handle this, but to be honest, it would freak me out a little bit. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we start looking for the hand sanitizer whenever we have to you know, hold someone else's hand. <laughs> but the point that Paul is, is trying to make here is that we should want and desire to be with one another. We should have that brotherly love. See, the, thir- the church in Thessalonica, they had to walk closely with one another. Are Because of this dark and godless world that they lived in. They depended on each other. You see, God gives us peace by giving us the church. Say, I promise that difficulties are going to come in your life. And in those moments, that is when you need the church the most. Sadly, though, those are often the times where we, we move away from, from the church. I know countless individuals who, who drop out of church when they've lost a loved one. And I understand the reasoning for that because, I mean, it is difficult to come to church, especially when you've sat with them for many, many years. But I would say that in those times, lean into the church and allow your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you through that time of grief. Maybe... Uh, know somebody else that's that's caught up in some type of addiction. You know, maybe they, they used to be faithful in church. They grew up in the youth group and in their 20s or so, and they just kind of walked away and made some poor life choices. And they're not longer here in church. Because they feel like, well, they're not worthy to be in church. Because they've messed up. Well, hello, all of us are messed up. All right, just join in the club here. You see, if you are at that low point today, yield to God and to pursue holiness. See, you must start today and just take it one day at a time. It is a lifelong pursuit. It's not going to happen just in the turn of, of an instant. And you must humbly depend on God because God works through the church. Not the building. Yes, I mean, we, we use our building for the glory of God, but the church is the people. And you cannot be sanctified apart from being in the church. We have come to a close in 1 Thessalonians. We've gained some, some practical instruction on how to live in light of Christ's return. See, Paul gives us insight into biblical topics regarding the the end times and how we need to be ready for Jesus' return. See, we don't need to to empty our 401ks or stocked up on on canned goods. Rather, we need to, to live our lives as if Christ is coming at any moment. We need to daily pursue Christ and share the gospel with those who have not yet heard If you're here this morning, and you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, you're going to have an opportunity to do so in just a moment. Jesus says that all who come to me, I will not turn away. If God is leading you this morning to give your life to Christ, come forward and give your life to Him. I promise you it is the greatest decision that you could ever, Ever make it will not just change your life for this world, but it'll change your position for eternity. See, the first step in being ready for Christ's return is to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to give your life to Him. But for those of us who have already placed our faith in Christ, are you living in light of Christ's return? And if you knew that today was your last day, would you do anything? differently i pray that you would boldly live for christ see so much that we do day in and day out has little eternal significance but what we do for jesus has an impact for eternity are you pursuing christ with everything that you have whether it's your money your time your focus, or your desires, or have you lost that that desire to even follow Christ? You're just kind of in a rut, and you just you know you're just doing things based on tradition. If you've lost that desire to follow Christ, come back to Him. Learn to love Him again. Trust in God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. May we live faithfully in light of his return. And I promise, I promise you this. And this isn't my promise, this is God's promise that he will take care of you and that you will live the life that he has designed you for. Would you pray with me please? Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning as sinners, as sinners who need saved from our sin. God, we are so grateful that you have provided a way for us to come to you. We come to you in with humility, not able to provide you anything, but God, we trust in the gift that you gave us, and that is your son Jesus Christ who lived that perfect spotless blameless life and he died the death that we deserved so that we might have eternal life and we might have it to the full God I pray this morning that if there are any of those that are here this morning that have not yet turned to you God I pray that they would do so this morning God I pray for for those that are struggling out there, for whatever is going on in their life. God, I pray that they would, that they would yield to you. For you tell us that, that you will sanctify us. God, that you will take care of it for us, that you are faithful. That we never lose sight of your faithfulness, God. May it change how we live. May we live boldly for you. May we seek to make your name great in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, as we go out through our normal day of life. God, may we live on mission for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is Pastor Adam again. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I would love to hear from you and to pray for you. You can contact me via email at adam at adamburton.net. Also, please check out Central Baptist Church on Facebook, as well as our website, cbcmaysville.com. May God bless you.